you matter. Like you're changing someone's life being a stepmother. And the way that I looked at my role, I wanted to be whatever they needed me to be. So with my oldest son, Max, I'm only 14 years older than him. And so I was more like a bossy older sister, I would say to Max, but the other two really wanted me to be their mother figure. And I was happy to do so, but it's like in a way, letting the kid lead rather than being like, well, you need to regard me this way because it's about me. So I don't know, it was helpful for me to think of it like, I just want to be someone good in their life, someone who loves them, a safe, soft place for them to land in a really hard world. Hey, it's Jamie Scrimger. When I became a stepmom, I quickly realized that while moms are encouraged to keep it real, there's a big double standard when it comes to stepmoms. So I decided to start the conversation myself. Thriving as a stepmom doesn't just come from conversations about being a stepmom, though. Here, we dive into marriage, relationships, personal growth, and more. My mission? Inspire you to live a kick-ass life while bringing you along as I create my own. This is the Kick-Ass Stepmom Podcast. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Kick-Ass Stepmom Podcast. Guys, I'm going to be straight. I have recorded this or tried to record this intro, I think, three times now. People in my house are being loud. Darren <laughs> just barged in again, got me out of a focus, and I'm just like, okay, this is the last time I'm going to try to do this, and it it is what it is. So yeah, I am home. I just got home last night from being at our cabin up north, so it's on the French River for the last 25 days, which is amazing. It's kind of rough in it. I feel like it's as close to camping as I'm ever going to get. There was a run-in with a snake, a rabid raccoon. We don't have a flushing toilet. It's on an island, so you need to boat to the marina, which I got good at this year. It's rough in it. So I'm glad to be back home and have a flushing toilet and just like a nice, clean, white kitchen. But it really was such an amazing three weeks. The French River is definitely one of my favorite places in the world. Darren and I both have history there as kids. And actually, when we first started dating... Darren was a member of a houseboat and, and when you like, this is not a luxurious houseboat. Like there was a mouse in my bed kind of houseboat. It's like a trailer on water. So Darren was a member on this houseboat. So we went up North and we stayed on the houseboat. It's like an hour and a half away from the Marina, just the two of us. And we were there for like seven or eight days, barely saw another person. And it was probably one of the best weeks of my life. And after that, so we had been dating for a couple months We were like, okay, well, we don't want to go back to, you know, talking on the phone at night and just not waking up with each other in the morning. So we left our trip, went home, asked the kids if they were cool if we moved in together. Little did I know when we made that romantic decision (laughs) what I was in for and what it would be like moving into the house that he lived in during his first marriage, full of junk drawers, full of their memories and, you know, wedding dress in the closet and all of that. But you know, maybe that's a different conversation for a different day. But, you know, since then, we've been going up to the French River multiple times this summer. And about seven years ago, we decided to buy a cabin. And Darren was just saying that he can still picture me sitting there looking around this cabin that was in rough, rough shape. And I was like, it's cute. I can work with this as long as you put in a bathroom. So insert compost toilet and a shower. And we're just up there living the dream. Anyway, I've gone off on a tangent, but now that we're home, I'm just really excited to get back into routine, back in my groove, back in my cozy earth bamboo sheets and Wi-Fi and a flushing toilet. I'm also really excited to be home because I have some really exciting projects that I'm working on right now, and it was just not the same trying to get it all done up there. So as most of you know, I do have a membership space for stepmoms. It's called the Kick-Ass Stepmom Community, which is basically where members of my community can get access to support from me. You can connect in a private chat room. You get access to my workshops, like how to disengage the right way, how to improve your relationship with your stepkids. There's a whole bunch of them. You can check them out. And there's a lot of other features in this membership, but the thing is it just continues to grow and evolve. And this fall, we are taking it to the next level with an exclusive app which I am freaking jacked about. Now I have to tell you, just like most things I've done with this platform and in life in general, I am just figuring it out as I go. 
but I'm currently working with this provider from New Zealand to get things rolling and it's exciting. And I'm just really excited for you guys to get your hands on this. You can access the community through an app. I don't know. Never thought I would be here. The membership right now can be accessed through another app called Kajabi. So Kajabi is actually the platform that I host the membership on. So if you're like, wait, I'm already on the app. That's what that is. But this fall, the app is going to be my app. Like I own the app. It's going to be exclusive to the membership and to my courses. And I'm excited. Anyways, being so excited, I thought that this week I would actually do a little preview of an exclusive interview that I did in the membership back in, I think, 2021 with Terry Cole. So Terry Cole has been on the podcast before and she came into the membership and we did an exclusive conversation just for members only. And I do these once a month for those who are in my community. So it's kind of like a next level conversation with an expert. So if you're not familiar with Terry Cole, she's a psychotherapist. She's a best-selling author, global relationship and empowerment expert. And she is the author of The Boundary Boss, which is a book that I recommend to all stepmoms and basically anyone. I will link it in the show notes for you if you don't already have a copy. So for today's episode, I went into the archives and I've pulled out this interview and I want to share it with you because Terry is always a fave. And, you know, as stepmoms, we love to talk about boundaries So if you love this interview, if you're craving more, if you're like, okay, I've been thinking about becoming a member, Jamie, I'm finally in highly recommend checking it out, especially right now, each month in the membership. Like I said, I do do these exclusive interviews with experts and interviews include, you know, other stepmom coaches, but also parenting experts and therapists. And there's an estate planner and lawyers. There's just like all this information in there. So basically this is the type of support that I was looking for. Well, after I went on that romantic weekend and decided to move into a house with, you know, my new boyfriend, his three kids, where his ex-wife used to live. Never a dull moment from there. Anyways, if you are interested, head to kickassstepmom.com or jamiescrimger.com forward slash membership and use the code I need this to get 15% off an annual or monthly membership. I hope you enjoy. And if this feels aligned, I'll see you in the kick-ass Demon community. After three weeks up on the French, I have to be honest, there was a fair bit of indulging. I tried to keep things in check with my healthy habits and supplements and movements and all the things, but I definitely let things slip. There was some wine, there were some sunset cocktails, and a lot of time spent just chilling on the dock with the friends and family that we had up. But one of the healthy habits that I did have or I was committed to every day, if not twice a day, was drinking Element. So Element is a tasty electrolyte drink, and I've been drinking it daily for almost two years now. If you've been listening to the podcast, you've heard me talk about it over and over, and that's because I love it. So here's the deal. There is a growing body of research that has revealed that optimal health outcomes occur at sodium levels that are two to three times the government recommendations. Sodium is not bad. That's why Element is all about more salt, not less. Element is an electrolyte drink with 100 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. It's vegan, friendly, no sugar, no gluten, paleo and keto friendly, no dodgy ingredients. So many electrolyte drinks are packed with sugar and crap that you just don't need, but not Element. So at home, I drink Element pre-workout, kind of post-workout and during workout, and for a mid-afternoon pick-me-up. But while I'm on vacation, to keep me hydrated, I definitely have Element before bed, maybe after some cocktails, first thing in the morning to rehydrate. And, And when I opted to have a mocktail and not a cocktail, I would have soda, lime, mint, and then add some raspberry salt. Now, if you wanted to, you could add some tequila or vodka in there. I definitely did that as well. But if you are into mocktails, I highly recommend just sprinkling some element of salt on top of your drink. You won't regret it. So there are eight flavors to choose from. My favorites are watermelon, raspberry, and citrus. My cousin loves the chocolate salt. She actually puts it in her coffee. So when you go to drinkelement.com forward slash kickassstepmom, you can get a free sample pack with any purchase. And this allows you to try all of the different flavors. So you can pick out the ones that you love. That's drink 
lmnt.com forward slash kickass stepmom for a free sample pack with purchase. That's eight free sticks. Free shipping on all US orders with no question asked refund policy if Element isn't your thing. Head to www.drinklmnt.com forward slash kickass stepmom for a free sample pack with purchase. All right, we are live. Terry, welcome to the membership. Why, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Well, yeah, you know what? The podcast episode that we did was such a hit and had so many stepmoms just really reevaluating things that I was like, okay, we've got to go deeper. We have got to have a Terry back. So this is behind the walls of the closed community. So it's basically my space for stepmoms where they can come and connect and just kind of have that, you know, all those conversations that sometimes we don't feel comfortable having online. Yeah, especially with other people who are not stepmoms. Because people don't make a differentiation. When they're a bio mom, they just think it's all the same. You're like, oh my God, it's so not. Right? There are similarities, of course, but especially with boundaries, there are so many things to consider that you wouldn't consider if you were the bio mom. Mm -hmm. It's like trying to figure out when to step up, when to step back, what that role looks like. And I think, especially with stepmoms, like boundaries is key to your success. So, Before we dive into all the stuff I want to chat about today, I thought we could just start because I asked my community if they had any questions that they wanted to ask you. And one of the questions was, can you just tell me like, what are boundaries? Because I think it's really interesting. We're throwing this word around. It's buzzword, right? I'm glad it is because it's getting people having these conversations. But I think some people are a little confused about what boundaries actually are. All right. So I want you to think about them as your own personal rules of engagement. You know, these are the guidelines that we set in order to let others know what's okay with us and what is not okay with us. So the way that I teach it is that your boundaries are made up of your preferences, your desires, your limits, and your deal breakers. Right. And of course, you've got to know those things. And then you have to have the ability to communicate those things. We're really letting people in our lives know what is okay with us and what is not okay with us. Mm -hmm. So good. And, you know, I was having this conversation on my podcast the other day, and it's really easy to tell people your boundaries when you first meet them. And you're having those, if you're very strong on your boundaries and you're very clear on them, but it's the boundaries with the people who maybe we need to reevaluate our boundaries with. That's when things get extra tricky. Well, think about it like a dance. What you just said is completely true, but let's think about it. You've already been dancing with people. And then when we start to establish new boundaries or different boundaries or renegotiate boundaries, we're basically doing a new move in the dance. And people are like, hey, wait, I do this, you do that. That's how we do it. What are you doing? But I think a lot of times we feel compelled, like we we really want to just tell everyone like everything's gonna change. Like we want to be like, hey, there's a new boundary sheriff in town. And you know talk to all the people, like pre-announce that we're going to talk to all the people. And I definitely do not think that that's the way to go because literally there's not one time in life when someone says to you, we need to talk, that you ever want to talk to them. Like nobody wants to, not being on the receiving end, no thanks. So part of what is hard with our over-functioning, high-functioning, probably high-functioning codependent folks is that it's anxiety provoking to just change. Like we wanna have the conversation, we wanna make sure they know. But so much of the work that I teach in the book, so much of the work that we do when it comes to learning the language of boundaries is we go in first, we understand our background, we understand our life, like we understand how we got here and then we bring it out to the world. But most of the book is really a deep dive into becoming radically curious about why we personally, why the person reading the book, why the person doing the course or whatever, relate to boundaries the way that you do, because we all have a very unique way of doing it. So what I find when people are new to setting boundaries is that they just can't wait to bring it out into the world. And I'm always like, slow your roll. (laughs) We're going to bring it in. And then eventually we're going to bring it out. Yeah. And I always am telling stepmoms when it's so easy when you're struggling with boundaries, you're struggling with your relationships to 
think that it's other people who need to change or you need to communicate something to them or they need to do this and you just need to get to them to understand why. And when people come and they work with me, I'm always like, okay, like let's bring it back to what we can control. Let's bring it back to our reactions and how we're perceiving the situations. I think it's a hard thing to grasp, but when you realize that the true change starts with you, it's like you have this power, right? Like all of a sudden you feel so much more in control when nothing else has changed. It's just you. Oh yeah. Well, you know, Wayne Dyer has a famous quote, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And so that is such a profound truth that if you find yourself saying, well, if my spouse would just do this, or if this person wasn't like this, or if that person didn't do this, everything would be different. Again, we're becoming radically curious rather than judgmental of ourselves and others. Because when you understand why you are reacting the way that you do, it gives you power, like you said. When you realize, oh, this person is doing this thing I don't like, I can just say that they're inconsiderate or self-centered or entitled, or I can tell them hey, I'd like to make a simple request that you not turn the lights on when you come to bed late because it wakes me up. Instead of internalizing, oh, they don't give a shit about me. They don't care about how I feel. They're so selfish. This is just like all the other things that they're selfish about that I never tell them that I have in my resentment file cabinet. And so instead of that internal experience, it really is about saying, oh, okay, so I need to step up. I had a situation the other day that I think is a good example of this, of someone who said to me, oh, I had this conversation with this person. And then in my team meeting, she mentioned something. And I just realized, you know, she just needs to go back into the unsafe category of people. And I was like, that's one way of doing it. But what is it that she said that you didn't like? What didn't you like about it? What felt betraying to you? And why not just say, hey, I want to get it on your radar that you and I had a private conversation the other day, and then you shared something in the meeting from that conversation, and it really bummed me out and made me uncomfortable. So I'd like to make a simple request that unless you talk to me about anything we've talked about, consider that it should be in the vault unless we've agreed otherwise. So you're clearly and concisely negotiating to get your need met. Because here's the thing, when we think about the secondary gain, right, the unobvious gain of what my friend said, like she just goes back into the unsafe category, is what does my friend get to not feel, not face, not experience by saying nothing, changing in her mind where that person goes in her life. You're no longer a VIP, now you're gonna sit in the nosebleed seats of my life, let's say. What she's losing by doing that is A, holding on to resentment takes a lot of bandwidth. It's exhausting. You can say, I'm just going to put this person in this place, but it requires effort. And you're putting them in this place of unsafe, because that's what she said, with, I'm going to say, a considerable amount of effort. When we can express, when we can talk true, like the subtitle of the book says, what we're really doing is giving the people in our life an opportunity to show up for us in a way that we would prefer they show up. And hey, maybe they can't. Maybe they won't, but how the heck will we ever know if we don't say? And so she wanted to avoid having a conversation and, you know, she wanted to protect herself, but you're not like, you're not protecting yourself or the relationship. You're just being withdrawn in anger because that's really what she was doing. Like she's lost the privilege of my trust now, but she doesn't even freaking know it. So what would happen if you said something, then you know what you're dealing with. We sometimes just jump to conclusions, right? I think even with the stepmoms, it's like, well, they're not respecting me. I'm not doing that anymore. Or I'm not going to be showing up for the kids anymore because they don't respect my role and, and that kind of stuff. Instead of, you know, simply just like having some conversations that may feel uncomfortable, but we can't assume that people know what we need and what we want and what is normal in our mind on how to interact with each other. So that's why I think this stuff is so important. One thing that I would love to dive into is so you talk about high functioning codependence and 
you know, there is a emotional labor assessment in your book. So guys, sidebar, they hear me say this all the time. I'm always telling everyone to buy your book and to go through the exercises. And I've gone through a couple of times, but the boundary boss guys, this is your handbook on how to set boundaries. I kid you not, it is the best resource for stepmoms out there. And I will shout that off the rooftops. But in the book, you say high functioning codependents may find themselves believing they're acting out of love when in reality, their dysfunction may be driven by fear. And a lot of stepmoms are high functioning codependents, right? Coming in, doing everything for everyone else, as you say, to the detriment of their own well-being. Like, why do you say fear? Can you unpack that for me? So let's think about codependency and high functioning codependency where like you make it look easy, even though it's not. And people wouldn't look at you and be like, oh, you're a codependent, right? That's why I created this new moniker, high-functioning codependency, because that's what I was. I didn't identify with codependent. I was like, codependent? What? No. Hi, everyone's dependent on me. I'm doing all the things. I'm doing all the heavy lifting. I'm making the money or whatever it was. So what it really is, is a covert or overt bid for control. We are trying to not let anything be out of our control. We don't want our stepkid to be in a relationship with that terrible, awful boyfriend, girlfriend, whomever. We don't want our spouse to do what we think is making a mistake business-wise. Let's say, you know, we're like, they want to change careers. And we're like, oh my God, don't. Like, it can feel like we just want them to be happy. And that can be simultaneously true with, we want our discomfort to stop. We are uncomfortable with what is going on. So why I say it's driven by fear, it's either fear that if I don't do it, it won't get done, fear of being not in control, so being sort of someone under someone else's control, but also fear of being rejected, fear of being like, we make ourselves invaluable, especially when we're coming in in a step or a blended family situation. Now, it doesn't mean you have to not do anything, not be invested, I talk about this because you have to be aware of what is driving your behavior. Because if you are not aware, if you do not become radically curious about why, let's say with emotional labor, which is like all of the unpaid, a lot of it is invisible work that moms, stepmoms, all the women in the world do for friggin' everybody. If we're not aware of how that impacts us, right? We're resentful we're exhausted, we feel used, we feel undervalued. Because a lot of times no one even knows the heavy lift that we're doing. Like, you know, what are the kids, you know, listen, raising kids, I don't care, step, bio, they just think like everything is magical. The toilet paper replaces itself, like it's all, the shit all happens magically. Unless you make them a part of the solution, have family meetings, create actual rules of engagement in this family, It doesn't have to be a lot, lot, but there's got to be some basic stuff. When I took on four acting out teenage stepsons many, many, many moons ago, I mean, in the beginning, I was like, this is going to be great because I was so in love. And then I was like, oh my God, this is so friggin' hard. Why didn't anyone tell me how really incredibly hard this was going to be? And I was like, what are the things that are driving me crazy? I have to address those. And so that's where I came up with doing family meetings and parsing out them helping in a way, because they really didn't help at all when I got there. And I was like, dude, you know who I don't work for is you. Like, I'm happy to do a lot of this stuff. I'm also not one of your friends and you will without a doubt interact with me in a respectful way. And how I did that, and this is the hard part, which, you know, my mother kind of informed me once I was like probably two years into my situation. You know, I remember saying to my mom, like, this is not what I saw dad for. Like, I think they're all going to become criminals. Like they were all, they were so bad and acting out and doing, not just smoking weed and doing normal bad things, but doing worse bad things than that. And I was like, oh my God. And I had gotten the family in therapy though, which I highly recommend if you can do it. That was super helpful. But I remember saying to my mom, you know, this isn't what I signed on for. And she was like, hold up. This is exactly what you signed on for, Tara. So you have to be the grown up all the time. That's hard, you know? And so in my mind, it was like, I was able to sort of switch to, even when they were being jerky teenagers, 
kind of mouthy, just attitude, just superior, you know, just all the crap that teenagers do. Teenage boys too. They have a thing. Just nightmare. People say the girls are worse. I think the boys are worse. I didn't understand boys because I grew up with three older sisters. I mostly had women in my family. So I also related to them a lot, sort of like girls, even though they weren't, because that was the only experience that I had. But I remember just saying what I needed to say. If one of the kids was like, in a jerky way, asking me to take them to Billy's house, you know, I was like, oh, hey, Ben, FYI, I don't work for you. And everything I do for you is a favor. So you might want to back up and restate, would you like me to do you a favor? Get in the car and drive you 25 minutes to Billy's. And I also was, I know he was like, what a duty thing. You're like, okay, well, then I guess I'm not taking you. Like being able to stand in my truth that the thing is though, I treated them with respect. Even when they were being jerks, I was like, hey, that isn't cool. We're going to come back to this when you can be more respectful. I would like end the conversation. And I would also remind them, hey, I expect you to treat me with the same respect that I treat you with all the time. And you will. (laughs) Or I'm not going to keep doing this, right? Like, yes, exactly. I think that's so important too. And I know a lot of stepmoms don't want to have those conversations, but that's why you continue to find yourself in these situations over and over again. Like you could get pushback. It could cause more issues at the beginning, but there's that or five, 10 years from now, do you still want to be sitting there with someone talking to you like that? Like you get to decide how you allow people to treat you. And ultimately I do think people end up respecting that. Of course they do. And they feel safe with you because here's the thing. I'm not letting a 14 year old dictate the vibe of the conversation. If I think it's disrespectful, then we're going to back it up and start from the beginning again. And the thing is, I wouldn't take it personally though, because I was already a therapist and I wasn't really therapizing them, but you can't unknow what you know as a therapist. And I was like, this is a phase of development. And I think a lot of people in general don't realize how important it is as a parent to be aware of what phase of development is your kid going through. Kids who are going through, you know, preteens, teens, and it can last you know, I got to say it lasts into their early 20s, making terrible decisions. And Terry, really? You're killing me with that. <laughs> I know. I know. My mother told me and I was like crying. I was like, are what? I don't think I could do it. But if you know that what they're doing is they're separating and individuating from whoever the adult impactors have been in their life, they do it with anger and snottiness and superiority because it's so painful. So this is the only way they'll do it is being like, you're so uncool. You know what I mean? Like they have to. And as parents, we have to support them going through this rite of passage to become their own individual. So expect that teenagers are going to step outside of the lines that you draw. Here's the thing. I came into a system where there were no lines. Because Vic was busy, a single parent, you know, my husband, whatever, he was, has a huge career. It was like all of those things. So you need to make the lines, the expectations, like you have a curfew. You need to put your dishes in the thing. I didn't care how they kept their rooms as long as we had an agreement because I couldn't stand the rest of the house. And this was a big Victorian house and there was shit everywhere and I couldn't stand it. Part of the agreement was we would keep the common parts of the house would be kept picked up. And I said to them, and I am taking the right, since you've agreed to this, we all agreed, if you don't, that know that I'm going to pick up whatever crap is yours, open your bedroom door, throw it in as hard as I possibly can and shut the door. Like, So when they would be looking for like, where's my science book? I was like, well, if you left it in the kitchen, I probably threw it into your room. And they would laugh and they knew it though, because I didn't want to walk around angry at them. Most though, I was retraining them in a way, and I would do it with humor. I wasn't mad. I couldn't let it sit. I can't be in a super chaotic, the house was chaotic enough. I was like, I can't have shit everywhere. Like, no. And so that's how I did it. I don't know if that would work for other people. Vic cared about the rooms. I was like, well, you can't because they need some place where they can be the total slobs that they are. So we're going to shut their bedroom doors. And then the main part of the house at least will not look like Chernobyl, you know? I love the humor piece. I do that too, right? I often tell someone, like, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Like, you can have these conversations. And instead of being like, 
there's dishes in the sink again. Like, do you guys not respect me? Like you need to do this or you need to do that. And just kind of like screaming at them, making a joke out of something or, or just kind of, you know, bringing light to the situation. So my daughter, she's seven. So she was unloading the dishwasher and the older boys, you know, teenagers in dishwasher, they're not just going to willingly do it. Right. And it seems like this ongoing battle and I asked them to help out. So I said to my stepson, I'm like, Hey, actually Reese is doing the dishwasher right now. Do you want her to like show you how to do it? Like a tutorial? And he laughs and, and, you know, and so sometimes it's even just your delivery that can go such a long way. I was away in Austin at a hotel for a week and it was so good to sleep alone in my king size bed, woke up by myself. It was pure bliss. Honestly, like every mom and stepmom's dream. However, I was very excited to get home though, because I knew that there was a package from Cozy Earth waiting for me. Now, my package included new fresh viscose bamboo sheets in a duvet cover and bamboo PJ shorts for the summer, of course, wide leg capris and long sleeve bamboo crew neck. Guys, you know, I'm obsessed with Cozy Earth. They have been a longtime sponsor of the show. The sheets are amazing. I have been sleeping in them for over a year now, but this new fresh set I can't even tell you it is next level. Every morning, Darren and I have woken up and been like, these sheets are insane. As always, the PJs and loungewear do not disappoint. So comfortable, wash amazing, look good, feel good. Because when I'm in comfy clothes, I want to look somewhat put together. And Cozy Earth helps me achieve that. Check out Cozy Earth. I highly recommend it. Use the code COZYJAMIE40 for 40% off your order. That's one of the highest discounts that they offer. Cozy Earth. They have been on Oprah's favorite things multiple times. It's luxurious. It's next level. You deserve it. www.cozyearth.com. Use the code COZYJAMIE40 for 40% off. And when you get your order, shoot me a DM. I want to know what you got. I love back to school shopping. Not only do I love helping the kids pick out their backpacks and school supplies and shoes and just the things they need to start their fresh new school year, I usually do a little fall shopping myself. And this year I got myself my own backpack from Poppy Barley. So Poppy Barley is a female founded sustainable Canadian footwear and accessories brand. And their mission is luxury for the people and the planet. Poppy Barley crafts sustainably made products that are fair priced and designed to be worn on repeat, which as you guys know, I'm all about being deliberate and getting timeless pieces when it comes to my wardrobe. So this is so aligned for me. They are a certified B corporation, which means they meet the highest standards of verified social environmental performance, transparency, and accountability. So this year, one of my biggest intentions is to be more organized, especially when it comes to my work. We are always on the go and I'm often working out of my car in Reese's dance parking lot or doing work in the lodge of the ski hill when she's doing our lessons. And I usually just throw my laptop in my tote, but this is not working for me. Once my laptop came out of my bag and I ran over it with my car. And another time my water bottle leaked in my bag and ruined my laptop. Like I have such bad luck with laptops, but I am confident now that with the backpack from Poppy Barley, with the special compartments for my, all my electronics, this is no longer going to be an issue. I'm going to get it together. So this classic leather backpack converts into a briefcase too. So you just have to unhook the straps, tuck them in and go. It is perfect for someone who's commuting and just who, you know, is working on the go. The backpack has been one of their best-selling styles for seven years and is handcrafted in a family-owned facility in Mexico. I also have my eye on the Glove Fit Flat in black and Poppy Barley's Kensington boot. They are freaking gorge. I'm definitely going to be using my own code. So you can head to poppybarley.com and use the code KICKASSSTEPMOM for 10% off your order. That's www.poppybarley.com and use the code KICKASSSTEPMOM to get 10% off your order. You can't use this code in conjunction with any other promotions, and it's limited to one per customer. www.poppybarley.com and use the code KICKASSDEMOM for 10% off. Now, one thing I do want to go through is just to go back to that high-functioning codependency. The emotional labor assessment. Man, I was going through this. So guys, in the back of the book, it walks you through this like deep dive on like how to really you know dive into your own situation and you're supposed to go through this emotional labor checklist and see what applies to you. 
So I'm just going to read some of the first lines. So I often feel like I'm doing everything for everyone. I wish that people in my life acknowledged my efforts more. I feel overwhelmed and resentful at times. I often act as the go-between for people in my life. If I wasn't here, nothing would get done. I'm going to say if I had all my stepmoms in like an arena, everyone would be like raising their hand, right? It's just, I don't know if there's something about perfectionists and high functioning codependents who are like, yeah, let's marry someone with kids in an ax or like, let's marry someone with kids, like put herself in these situations. So how important is this checklist for someone when they're really trying to figure out their boundaries? Well, it is important because again, we could also bring it to doing a resentment inventory. If you're like, gee, I don't know where my boundaries are being crossed or I'm not sure. Well, trust me, you know. So if you do a resentment inventory and think about where are you holding on to resentment and for whom and why, that will give you an idea of probably where a boundary is needed. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean the person is trampling on it if you haven't told them how you feel or what you want, right? Because nobody can read your mind. But that's a beginning of figuring out what needs your attention, understanding. Because when you think about emotional labor, those are disordered emotional boundaries where we are automatically doing all of these things, but driven by fear if we don't do it, it won't get done. Fear if we don't do it, it won't get done right. The perfectionist comes in. Not wanting to wait for someone else to do it on their own timeline. There's a lot of things with emotional labor. Also, most of us saw this growing up. Like my father didn't do anything. Like he made money. That was it. That was his contribution and maybe mowed the lawn. But my mother was fully responsible for children and the household and all the food and all the cleaning and all the, all the, you know, it's not 1957, you know, and, and it doesn't need to be that way, but we were sort of trained that way. I wanted to say something though, quick, James, about how much of this has to do with your understanding with your partner. The situation I came into was that Vic was exhausted from being widowed when the kids were very little. I came in 12 years later. So he had a five, a three, and a one-year-old. And I came in and they were 17, 15, and 13, or whatever it was, you know? And he really wanted a partner. He needed someone to come in and just be like, I made the doctor's appointments, this one's getting their teeth done, whatever. Like, And all that stuff I didn't mind doing because it wasn't uneven in lots of other places. Vic cooked and did, you know what I mean? So it was just me coming in and doing everything because I wouldn't have liked that. But I really came in to do the emotional heavy lifting with the kids, having the hard conversations, getting us all into therapy and mostly them because I wasn't there at the scene of the crime when all these things happened with him as a single dad that needed to be unpacked. But I don't think I could have ended up in that situation if Vic were like, they're my kids. Don't tell them what to do. You know what I mean? I couldn't have because either I'm all in and that's just my personality and me, right? Because I wasn't coming from, I don't have bio kids. I'm a bonus mom. I have bonus kids. And that was great for me, but it's like, I wanted us to be all in. If you're in a blended family where you have bio kids, your partner has bio kids, maybe you have kids together or whatever. A lot of times there are agreements where the bio parent does more of the disciplining with the bio kid. Like all families have different agreements. Some, they treat everyone sort of the same where each parent has sort of equal ability to correct what's going on. So anyway, I just wanted to bring that up because that is sort of in a blended family, the agreement between the two partners really dictates what are the appropriate boundaries within the family system. And so what would you say for a stepmom who's like, uh, we might have skipped that step in like having those agreements or talking about those agreements, or maybe her partner wants things to look one way and she's not totally into that. How do you even have those conversations about that if you've maybe not had them before blending? Okay. So what I always suggest to couples is that you establish a weekly state of the union. Don't call it that to your partner. <laughs> Vic and I just do it on Sunday morning where have coffee, read the times, but we're talking, right? Well, what went well this week? What could have been better? 
is there anything we need to talk about? And we always start with gratitude. We also do a gratitude practice every night, which I just started him doing with me like in the past like six months. And it's just the last thing we do before we go to sleep. And I find that it's really helpful to keep us both in a grateful space. What are the three things you're grateful for? And what was your favorite frame of the day is what we do, like your favorite moment of the day. You know, kiss each other good night and go to sleep. It's like, I like going to sleep with gratitude on my mind and with both of us having gratitude on our mind. Because as much as things will get messed up, especially because it was rough, raising teenagers was just hell. But we kept it good between us by continuing to talk, by maybe disagreeing with situations. I remember a situation my youngest son wanted to, he was like, I'm going over to, I won't say the person's name because they're actually a real person, but I'm going over to Bobby's house. And later on, Vic says, oh yeah, you know, Ben's sleeping at Bobby's. I was like, no, he's not. He's like, what do you mean? I was like, Bobby's like a repeat offender. He's like a literally like a juvenile criminal. Like, why would we, what? So even though Vic had already said yes, and I called Ben and I was like, hey, you know, I'm coming to get you from Bobby's. (laughs) And he was like, why? And I was like, well, because he's basically a criminal. You've been there for five hours. And he was like, why do you care? I remember him like screaming. I was like, because I love you. So I'm getting in the car. You can either come out. I'm literally in the car driving to Bobby's right now. You can come out or I will come in and get you. And I just remember him being so pissed when he got in the car. And I was like, Ben, I love you. This kid is bad news. So come home watch a movie, we'll be together. He was mad. But the thing is, these kids were so starved for a strong female presence. And we still talk, I mean, listen, he's married and has two kids of his own now, you know, but we talk about these things and how my willingness to go to the mat, to have the uncomfortable conversation, to do what I thought. And listen, Vic was like, fine. He's like, Tara, I didn't realize he was so bad. I was like, yes, I was talking to so-and-so the other day. He's under house arrest right now. Why do we want Ben at a house that the kid is under house arrest? He's such a criminal. And he's like, I didn't know that. I was like, okay, I'm not blaming you. I'm just saying he's not staying there. He's got to come home. And so, you know, we course corrected, but how it was for the kids, at least for Ben in the retelling many years later, is that he knew that I really cared. And it wasn't like come home and dad and I are going out. It's like, come home. We'll be together. I'll make popcorn. We'll watch a movie. And he was kind of pissy, but here's the thing. You have to do what is right as a parent, even if the kid doesn't friggin' like it, even if you made a mistake and said yes and changed your mind. Well, listen, you can't change your mind. No, you can. And I did. So I did change my mind. And you know what I mean? It's not like thinking that you're perfect as a parent. You're not. But I felt so threatened by him being in that atmosphere with that kid who was such a bad kid. I didn't want him there. I was panicked. So I was really all in with these kids. Like I was like, I was madly in love with all of them. I was like, I only had, my mother's like, Tara, the clock is ticking. Like you've got this much time to influence these kids in the way of showing them what a functional family can be. So nobody's eating dinner at 10 o'clock at night. There's no 19 year olds in our house at two in the morning on a Tuesday when the kids have school. Like it was mayhem when I got there. And I was like, no, we have new rules. No, stop smoking weed all the friends. Like there was all these things that I had to kind of step in. It was like, I will call your mother, just FYI. So if you come here again, and there's any idea in my mind that you pot seeds on my table, I will call your mother. And as of right now, you're no longer welcome here. I mean, I can't tell you how many kids I excommunicated from the house. But I think this is a really important conversation too, because I think that a lot of stepmoms, when they're having these conversations about boundaries, they're like disengaging, like not my kid, not my problem. Like take a step back from things. And that's not what we're saying. We're saying you need to get really, really clear on what's okay and what's not okay. But I do think it's important to pick your battles, right? I'm sure there were things that you just let go because that wasn't your non-negotiable. And I think it goes back to what were you saying about the preferences, desires, and deal breakers? This is going to be different for every family and based on your own agreement with your partner about what kind of role you're going to have. So, you know, that was a deal breaker for you. It was. And I think that knowing that you matter, like you're changing someone's life being a stepmother. And the way that I looked at my role was that I just wanted to be a loving other. 
Now, my husband happened to be a widower, so the kid's mom was deceased. But I still wasn't like, I'm your mother, because I wasn't. And I didn't need to be for me. I wanted to be whatever they needed me to be. So my oldest son, Max, I'm only 14 years older than him because I'm younger than my husband. And so I was more like a bossy older sister, I would say, to Max. But the other two really wanted me to be their mother figure. And I was happy to do so. But it's like, in a way, letting the kid lead, asking questions. How was school? What's going on? And letting them do it sort of in their time rather than being like, well, you need to regard me this way because it's about me. So I don't know. It was helpful for me to think of it like, I just want to be someone good in their life, someone who loves them, a safe, soft place for them to land in a really hard world. But still, you weren't afraid to have those important conversations. And there were times where they probably didn't like you that much in that moment. And that was okay. Oh, yeah. Because the thing is, I knew down deep, I believed that they loved me. And I knew for sure that I was completely devoted. And good for them. Yes. I wanted to give them more than what they were experiencing because they'd been alone. It was like moving into a frat house, kind of. But I think that it's important that you, the stepmom herself, that you know yourself, that you know how you feel, that you know what you need, that you know what you want. Because here's the thing, even though we're raising kids, and of course, when you're raising kids and they're minors then the family system itself should be kid-focused first, then adult-focused, right? It's only dysfunctional families when someone's like an alcoholic or deading or whatever that it's dysfunctional if the focus of the family is on some identified patient, right? The abusive one. Then the kids are an afterthought because the whole system is organizing around this person not exploding, you know? So you can be healthy, be child-focused without being child-obsessed, because they're also different things. Still have a relationship with your partner that matters, but be able to know that how you feel matters. I remember getting to a point with Vic and I, we were so struggling, like we just were in hell for the first like three or four years that we were together. And before that, you know, I was like a talent agent living in New York City, like traveling, spending my money, doing whatever the hell I wanted. And now suddenly I hadn't been away in three years at all. This is long before pandemic lockdown. Who knew how long you could not go away for? But I didn't know that at the time. And I remember going, Vic and I were in the city out to dinner and I remember I was crying and I was like, I don't know, I just need a break. Like, I feel like I need a break. Like, I feel like I'm going to have a breakdown. Like, I was to the point. So I don't want to make it sound like, oh, I had it all figured out and I had a cape on. I didn't. Trust me, there were many times and days and moments that I was crying, being worried that what we were doing wasn't going to be enough to stop them from becoming criminals. All I'm saying is, I said to Vic, I need a freaking break. And that was like a non-negotiable for me. And then we made a plan to get away. And I remember just feeling so much more restored after just focusing on each other, even though it was only for like, I don't know, five days or a week or whatever it was, it was so needed because I didn't realize how little self-care I had been really doing because I was so focused on fixing this system that I came into, you know? So I'm sure there's, you know, I could have done it all with more balance, let's just say. Hindsight's twenty twenty, though, right? In, in, in it. <laughs> yeah. We don't know. We need to wait till we're having the breakdown. Actually, it's super it's funny. Last night, my daughter, she knew I, I was pretty stressed yesterday. And she's seven. And she's like, Mom, I'm sorry you're having a bad night. And I said, I'm not having a bad night. And she's like, no, but I think you might need a break. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> she is a hoot. Good point. <laughs> yeah. I would love to dive into this list, though. So Because when people are like trying to figure out what boundaries they need and what are their non-negotiables and, you know, what are their preferences, can you explain what the process is of writing this list and why it's important in figuring out the boundaries that you need to have and, you know, communicating those eventually? Sure. So in the book, it's called the okay and not okay list. So we start this massive list where you're really doing an inventory of every part of your life of like, what's working? And what's not from the biggest thing to how you're parenting jointly with your partner to the smallest thing, 
Maybe you don't like the lighting in your office and it's caustic and bothering you. So then we look at it and go, okay, what are the things I can change myself, right? To make my life more comfortable. So I feel less frustrated on the daily. There are many, many things that we can do that we just don't do. But when we sit down and go, hey, what's getting on my nerves? You might mention that stupid light and be like, why don't I just get a freaking ladder or ask my person to do it and change the light? That's an idea. But then we put them into categories. And the reason I have the okay and not okay list is because most therapy clients I've had in the last 25 years, high-functioning women, 95% of them, where I'm like, you know, what brings you joy? What are the things you, you know, are just like, I don't know, like I'm just getting by. I'm just trying to get it all done before the end of the day. And I never do, but that's all I'm trying to do. I don't know. What brings me joy? Having my to-do list done? I'm like, no, (laughs) that cannot be the thing that brings you joy. And so I realized how little a lot of my clients even knew themselves and that your preferences desires, limits, and deal breakers matter because when you think about it, they're literally the things that make us us in life. They are the things. I prefer coffee to tea. I prefer going to bed early to going to bed late. Those nuances are the things that make us us. So a lot of us have been trained to be like, I'm easy breezy, no fuss, no muss. You know me, go with the flow. It's all good. Maybe, probably not. Like probably that's just a way to avoid conflict. And having a preference is really not a burden on someone else, unless you've trained them that everything is going to be their preference, right? And then you're going to slowly but surely, when you go through this book, start inserting your preferences in. I'd like to make a simple request that we don't go out for Mexican food tonight, even though I know that's your favorite, because I would really like Italian. Keeping the peace at the cost of being unknown is not worth it. Wow. There's a stepmom in the community who she does not feel comfortable with her stepkids coming in and sleeping in their bed. And her partner doesn't understand this. Her partner is like, it's normal to want to like cuddle with your kids. You don't understand. I want them to feel comfortable and like they can come see me. And I'm like, well, and that was for me. You know, I co-sleep with Reese. That's a whole other issue. She will come into our bed and we'll have sleepovers and that kind of stuff. But I never felt comfortable doing that with my stepkids. It just was something at the time. It was like our room was just our space and that's what I needed. And I needed to assert myself and have that boundary with Darren at the beginning because there were children in my room all the time. And I was like, this isn't going to work for me. How would you recommend, because when she says that to her partner, when she's like, no, it keeps happening. Like the kid keeps coming into the room and she doesn't know how to deal. So you talk about, you know, the people who are the boundary destroyers, like you're trying to say, this is my boundary and they don't respect it and keep acting that way. How do you think she should deal with this? Well, part of it is it's not a debate. So the partner is saying it's normal. She's saying, I don't like it. It's not a debate. It is, she really wants him to respect her preference. So she's not like judging that's right or wrong that the kid comes in. She's saying, I don't feel comfortable. I want this room to be a sanctuary. Can we compromise? Let's think of something else. Let's find another mutual place. Can we talk about it? And in communicating, it's also saying, I need my feelings to matter to you, whether you understand them or not. This is real for me, and it's really important to me that we have the sanctity of the bedroom without the children. And I need you to care that I'm uncomfortable because what he's sharing is a preference, and what she's sharing is more of a deal breaker, more of a real limit that she wants to set. If he wants to he can go into the bedrooms with the kids. You can make a makeshift bed in what, the den and be like, you want to cuddle? Here's our cuddle spot. We have a little cuddle puddle right here. We're going to make it beautiful. You're going to make a sign for it. Like There are very creative ways to engage kids in being a part of the solution, right? And that just came to me. That's like one right there. You could just make it be a fun place. We're going to cuddle and watch a movie. This will be our cuddle puddle spot without having it be like you're projecting the kids or there's something wrong with them. But she also has every right. 
you know, the thing is you can also remove yourself. You don't want to do that. But, you know, a physical boundary and giving warning like, hey, we need to come up with this solution together. It's not just me having a problem because, babe, if I have a problem, so do you. Because it means we have a problem. It's not you against me. It's you and me against this problem. So let's change our mind. It's not you against me. Because I love you. Because we're partners for life. It's you and me against this problem. And I really need us to put our heads together to figure it out. It matters to me. It's important. So I don't want to just keep talking into the void and having it not change. Are you willing to problem solve with me? I love that. That's so good. You know, another scenario just popped in my mind that I would love to get your two cents on. There's some stepmoms who the ex will come to the house and like walk in. There was one where she just like would go upstairs. The other one would just kind of like walk in and like you just kind of be there. And the stepmom really was like, I just don't want her in the house. Like this needs to be my safe place. And their partner is saying, well, it's just not worth it. It's not worth poking the bear. It's not worth having the conversation. I don't want to make matters worse. How do you suggest that stepmom has that conversation with their partner just to say, actually, this is a hard no. (laughs) Like This is not happening anymore. I think that you just have to say, I hear what you're saying, that it's uncomfortable for you. But what I'm saying is that it is an ongoing uncomfortable for me, for her to have a key and come in. So you're talking about a short term and it's your situation to handle. And I need how I feel to actually be more important to you than your desire to not be uncomfortable. This is a boundary and I don't wanna take it to the extreme. I could get the locks changed. That's possible. I could make sure the lock is the door is double locked all day long so the person can't come in and will have to knock. That seems passive aggressive. I'd rather not do that. But I can will if I have to. So part of it is expecting more from your partner because they're just afraid. That's okay. Listen, you could do hard things, pal. You could be afraid and you could still do it. For sure. And I like what you're saying. There's consequences. This is my non-negotiable. And so, cause that's what people will say. Well, when my boundaries aren't respected, what are you supposed to do when they disagree or they refuse? It's like, okay, well then what are you going to do? Right. There are consequences. That's the whole thing that I walk you through in the book, right? If it's a boundary first timer, you make the request. I'd like to make a simple request that you let me know before you're coming and that you don't just walk in to the house because you don't know what I could be doing and I need to feel safe and free in my own space. I don't think it's allowed to ask. And I wouldn't say that part. <laughs> I would just say, simple request. If the person is like, because I had this with a client with her parents, they'd moved near and they just thought they could just come anytime. She said a few times, hey, you guys, let me know before you're coming. Still didn't do it, still didn't do it. And then she's like, I am changing locks on the house because you're not respecting. And they were like, that's ridiculous. She's like, well, it's already done. So I love you. And you will please notify me before you're coming. I asked you eight different ways to Sunday. You didn't respect it. Mom, I'm grown up. I could be having sex with my person in the living room while you're walking in, but I wouldn't because now I know you're walking in. Or on the front mat, like you can do it wherever you want. It's your house. Exactly. As long as your parents aren't walking in. So I think that the first timer, you make the simple request and we give them the opportunity to step up because maybe they will, whoever they are. If you make the thing and they agree to the thing, but then they break the thing, Then there has to be a point where you say, first you remind them, hey, we spoke last week. You said you would let me know before you came over. You came over today without letting me know. Well, I was busy or my phone was dead or whatever. Hey, you know what though? I don't care about any of those reasons. I'm going to go back to reiterating what we talked about last Tuesday and what you agreed to, which is that you would let me know before you come over. And it's really bumming me out that you continue to do this. Like, I don't get it, mom, like why? Anyway, don't ask why, don't even care because there's gonna be no good answer to that. And then you let them know, hey, if you continue to come over without letting me know, I'm gonna change the locks and I'm going to keep the house locked. That's how important this is to me, is that I would go through the cost of doing that. And I can't even believe we're at this point, but we are. So we let them know right? We have to add a consequence to the broken boundary agreement. So if you don't let me know, you're going to be more than 10 minutes late for dinner. I'm no longer cooking for you. 
or the food is in the fridge, you can make your own. I won't heat it up. I won't wait for you. And I won't eat with you. I'm not sitting here waiting for you when I've asked you 55 times to let me know if you're going to be late. And that may not sound like a big deal because listen, the consequence has to be commensurate to the boundary violation, right? We don't want to be like ridiculous. But for couples that normally eat together, that would be a big deal, but you have to do it. You have to, when they don't let you know they're late, food's in the fridge, they have to make the thing themselves or whatever, because with no consequences, why is anybody going to change? Well, that's true. And you know, I think it's really important to know that, right? Like people will say, well, they're not going to do that or, or people are never going to change. Like, you know, it goes back to what you're talking about. You didn't know what you signed up for. Or like I didn't sign up for this. When you sign up to be a stepmom or when you sign up for anything, like you don't really fully understand what it's going to be like, but you're also committing and recommitting every single day. And, and this is any type of relationship. Like you're committing to be in this relationship and you can change that. You can change your mind. Like you don't have to be in these situations. And I think sometimes we forget how much power we have. And we're sitting here waiting for everyone else to change or to respect how we feel without making any consequences or without just being like, no, actually, I get to decide how people engage with me. And that doesn't make me a bitch. That doesn't make me a bitch. It makes it means I have self-respect. And if you're engaging in these conversations in that respectful way you're not a bitch. And I think actually that's where it's really big. It's, it's a struggle right now, I think for women, because we're talking so much about boundaries, but then when a woman is being assertive and they're saying, this is a deal breaker for me, or this isn't working, they worry that's what they're going to be portrayed as. Well, here's the thing. What other people think of you is none of your business. And if I'm no doubt, my kids thought I was a bitch at different points, but here's the thing. I don't care. <laughs> like I know my heart's in the right place. I knew what I was asking for was reasonable. I wasn't being ridiculous. I wasn't being selfish. And I also had a limit, like a real limit of how much bullshit I would put up with. That's it. So if there's going to be a rough conversation, we can have a rough conversation, but nobody's calling names. Nobody's cursing. Even just walking into a home with a bunch of boys where people would be like, shut up to other people. I'm like, oh, hey, 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 hey. No. And I was like, you guys, the world is so hard. Let's not be so harsh in here, right? Let's let home be a place where it's not harsh. And even though to my face, they'd be like, oh yeah, here we come, kumbaya. I knew that I was impacting them, that I was influencing them, even if they didn't stop that behavior right away. But trust me, they did eventually stop that behavior because every single time I'd be like, hey, hey, you know, and I would do it funny, like I said, use humor, but there are certain things I couldn't abide because of my constitution. I'm an empath, I'm a highly sensitive person. I was like, people screaming at each other, no friggin' way. I will have to leave if this doesn't change, which I didn't say to them, but you have to know yourself. So we can't worry. These people are gonna think when you know yourself, when you really know yourself, you know you're not being a bitch. Like, you know, it's reasonable unless you are, then rethink it, you know, and we all have those moments too. Like nobody is perfect. Parenting is so messy. For sure. And would you rather be maybe viewed as whatever for setting that boundary or, you know, rocking the boat in a relationship, or do you want to live your life feeling depleted and resentful and not being true to you, you know, because that's the choice. The cost is so great. And we do end up like martyrs. You know, you don't think that every mother who any of us had, who ended up as a martyr, started out that way, right? They didn't. It is over-functioning, over-giving, not valuing yourself for so long that eventually all you can do is count the beans of like what people didn't do for you after everything I've done for them. I can't believe they wouldn't do this thing. Well, here's the thing. Nobody knew you were keeping score, but when you're doing it out of fear, out of codependency, we are keeping score. We do think people owe us. And here's the thing, they don't. What you owe yourself is to be honest. What you owe yourself is to know your deal breakers, negotiate for your needs within that system. 
is it worth going to the mat for the bed thing? I think it is. That's my two cents. And from the way that you presented it, I think the person thinks it is. So then you go to the mat and say, hey, this thing isn't going away, babe, right? You and me against this problem. But it is a problem. And it's not just my problem because we are together. If I have a problem with something, the same way if you had a problem with something, I would want to address it because I love you and the way you feel matters to me. This thing isn't going away. We're going to continue to talk about it until we figure it out because I'm not changing my mind about the way I feel. I need you to respect that. You know, like keep having the combo until there is some meeting in the middle that feels okay to you, you know? And I do think it's okay for the stepmom to say something, you know, even if, you know, their stepdaughter's like, okay, honey, well, I'm actually not comfortable. Like, why don't we set up something over here too? Like you can engage in that conversation with them too. Like you can set boundaries with your stepkids. And when it comes to parenting my stepkids, I've taken a step back in the discipline department. Two of my stepkids don't actually really ever need to be disciplined, but just with basically with one of them. And it's just because that's what works for our family. I still have boundaries around that though. I can still say, no, actually you don't get to talk to me like that. You don't get to treat me like that and expect me to do things. So I have my boundaries with that. And I think that's what stepmoms also need to know. Like just because you've maybe taken a step back or you're not parenting the same way as their parent is, you still get to have those boundaries. Like there's difference between boundaries and parenting. Yes. And you are a sovereign human being. You are, you know, a part of a whole, but you're also your own person. So yes, I agree. Well, thank you so much, Terry. This has been so good. You are just, I, I, I can't say enough good things about you. I'm literally, someone asked me, I'm like, is Terry paying you to say that? I'm like, no, it's literally, I just love this book so much. It's been so <laughs> helpful for me. So I just want to thank you for the work that you're putting out in the world and for taking time to chat with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. If anyone has not taken the boundary quiz, there's a free quiz that you guys can go to to get an idea of your boundary baseline if you're really kind of a beginner probably in this group, you're not, but it would be interesting to see what your archetype is. Just go to boundaryquiz.com and anyone who wants to get the book, you can buy it anywhere. But if you want the bonuses, go to boundarybossbook.com. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Jim. That's it for this one. Thank you so much for tuning in. And if you enjoyed this episode and know someone that it would resonate with, do me a favor and send it their way. And if you haven't already, head on over to iTunes and give the show a rating and a review. I am so passionate about opening up the conversation about blended family life and debunking the stigma that comes with being a stepmom. And you sharing this podcast helps me do just that. Now, if you're craving more podcast episodes and interviews, would like to connect with me and get access to workshops like how to disengage the right way, how to improve your relationship with your stepkids, how to talk to your partner about your stepfamily stress without causing a bigger fight and more, you have to check out my membership, the Kick-Ass Stepmom Community. Not only will this community give you access to strategies and tips to improve your stepfamily life, you can connect with me and stepmoms from over 30 countries around the world in our private chat and our live Q&As. Head to www.kickassstepmom.com to join.